0: Welcome in to 2 for one Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner, the Wednesday edition of 2 for one Drafts. Mike, you recently dropped a three-round mock draft. How fucking insane was that, (laughs) doing all three rounds?
1: That was my Tuesday. My Tuesday was just 10 radio hits and a three-round mock draft. My God. Just, like, establishing the picks themselves took longer than probably day two is actually going to take. Like, it was just a grind to try to make... Everyone happy with it? It's my goal. It's my goal to yeah. make you guys happy with all these. And what's really unfortunate it is that you,
0: it, What's really unfortunate is that the bars aren't open because you could have gone to the bars Tuesday night and led with that that you were doing a three round mock <laughs> and radio hits all day. Do you want to hang out later? That I feel like that's it would have really can That's can't miss right there. Yeah, that's yeah. dynamite for sure. All right, we're gonna talk about the three round mock draft. I highlighted some of my favorite and least favorite picks. In all three rounds, we're also going to talk to Roto World and NBC Sports Analyst Josh Norris. Met him at the Combine in person. Great dude. Really, really smart dude as well. I definitely recommend listening to his podcast with John Daigle and Ian Harditz. It's it's a very good podcast. Really respect what they do at Roto World. Josh Norris will be fun to bring on. But without further ado, let's dive into this mock draft. The thing you're grinding out all Tuesday, whatever it may be. I want to start with my favorite pick. I'm going to go in, in order here with the favorite picks starting at the Las Vegas Raiders, grabbing Christian Fulton at number 19. I think grabbing a cornerback at 19 for the Raiders is a very smart decision because you have to think they're going to take best receiver available at 12 maybe henry ruggs Ceedee lamb jerry judy whoever falls to them at 12 and at 19 i think there's a ton of value at cornerback whether it's cj henderson of florida christian fulton of uh lsu or even maybe Jalen johnson of utah if you want to sneak him in at 19 but i think christian fulton the las vegas great value high positional value pick and a very very good player
1: how sad are you going to be when they draft like uh Kenneth Murray at 19 oh. or, you, you know, something's coming. They're going to break your heart again, the Raiders. But no, Fulton makes too much sense. And also schematically, like I said this before, last year, 2018, was when he looked at his best, when he made the most plays on the football, when he made those real high-level plays. And they played a lot more quarters. And mm-hmm. the Raiders, Paul Gunther, they off zone. Like that is, their, that is his calling card. That's what they run. That's what that defense is. That is what Christian Fulton's built. You can sort of, the wingspan concerns, size concerns that people have about him don't really matter in a defense like that. That is not what, you know, plays in a defense like that. Ball skills do. reading, Being able to read routes and break on balls consistently does. That's what Christian Fulton brings to the table. So it's that one makes too much sense. Now, will it actually happen? Who knows? But I love this.
0: For those who don't know why Mike says break my heart, I was bo- born in Oakland, California. I had season tickets with my dad for like eight years before I went to San Diego State for college. So Raiders fan, born and bred. It's been a little bit different since I've become like an analyst and worked in the field, but still supporting well, those Raiders. To
1: ferrule, yeah, since alive.
0: they drafted Cleveland Farrell, it's been it's been a distant relationship, that's for sure. But Christian Fulton in Las Vegas, I love the fit. I love the value. I think I don't know if the Raiders go that way. I could see them maybe going A.J. Terrell instead. I could see them going off-ball linebacker instead. But I think Bill this big deandre swift deandre swift would be just absurd (laughs) but i also like trade down i I saw even though these don't matter but a bleacher report update that they're interested in trading down like so is every team but again i don't hate to trade down either at 19 all right second
1: rounder for them right and then exactly
0: their next pick pick after um 19 is 80 and then 81 they don't pick for a while after that so they could trade down all right going to this next pick here out of the first round, Willie Gay Jr., first player off the board on day two, going to the Cincinnati Bengals. You have said Willie Gay Jr. is perfect for the Bengals a handful of times on the podcast because they don't care about off-field. They don't care he cheated on chemistry tests. They don't care he punched the backup quarterback in the jaw. They just want good football players. And Willie Gay Jr. is exactly that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was so some of that might have been Marvin Lewis and his you know penchant for that. But I mean the scouting staff still like brought these guys in and talent-wise. Willie Gay Jr. still kind of a steal at 33. Like This guy has first-round talent, which we really haven't seen it much on the football field. He has fewer than 300 snaps in coverage in his career, but he has a 92.9 coverage grade for his career. He has been elite when he is on the field in coverage. That is what the Bengals need. You don't have to tell Bengals fans that. That one's pretty obvious. So if you are going to get a linebacker here, I think I, I went on the Bengals, one of the Bengals podcasts with The Athletic yesterday and said, Kenneth Murray is not gonna fix your coverage roll woes. That's not the guy you want there to fix that. Willie Gay, I think feasibly could.
0: Yeah, and I know they added Josh Bynes, off at, at awful linebacker in the offseason, but again, that's not a guy that's going to come in and solve the problems that Willie Gay Jr. can solve with his athleticism burst, and all of those things. I, I really do like that. And you saw Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Media said he would not be surprised or something along those lines that if Willie Gay Jr. goes up early on day two. I don't know if he's first player off the board, but um, I think I think there's a good chance he goes high on, in the second round. Next pick here, or pick right after, he's one of my guys, Michael Pittman Jr., the USC wide receiver, going to the Indianapolis. Was Colts at 34. They trade away the number 13 overall pick for, um, for DeForest Buckner of the San Francisco 49ers, not giving them a first round pick, but they still draft at 34 and grab Michael Pittman Jr., a bigger receiver that you know the Colts like. And I think Michael Pittman Jr. ahead of T. Higgins, in my opinion. I, I think Michael Pittman Jr. can be a better player at the next level than T. Higgins in a lot of ways. I think this is a very good pick and a very good fit.
1: Yeah, he is a, he's a bigger body. Like he is a, He's filled out his frame already. And it seems more NFL ready, probably in that regard than Higgins. Uh, Pittman's good, dude. Like I, the more you watch him, the more it's just like he does the little things really well, and he's above. He made. We had a discussion for the draft board yesterday, and he made it into the top twenty-five. Yes. So he is. He's real. Like I. Yeah. I, I think this guy. I mean people want people want to call him like the next Michael Thomas and what like people always want to find the next guy and there's not going to be a next Michael Thomas like that that's a rare guy but I think he is far more talented than the 34th pick if he's and I feel like he probably will slip to the second round but he's far more talented than that
0: (laughs) yeah I come to McKinney Galladay but I think he might have better success at the short and intermediate level than what Galladay can have with his like kind of short area quickness and like his change of direction I think Michael Pittman Jr again not the next Michael Thomas but like Thomas can really really win at the short intermediate level because he does change direction well I think Michael Pittman Jr is right up there I've liked him for a long time after that discussion we had yesterday I went back and watched all of his targets in 2018 and again you just see like he can separate down the football field, does the little things well, like you said. The contested catchability is there, sure-handed and open and and tra- like um, traffic situations. I mean, I, again, I really do like him. I'm glad we have him in the top 25. And he falls to 34 for the Colts on this mock here. All right, A.J. Epinesa to Detroit Lions at 35. We're going 33, 34, and 35 for my favorite picks here. I just think if A.J. Epinesa falls out of the first round, one, whichever team picks him up is getting tremendous value. Two, the fit for Epinesa in Detroit is, off, is awesome because you've already made the comp for Epinesa to Trey Flowers. He fits in that scheme very well, can be versatile playing inside and outside with Matt Patricia. I think Epinesa, I think now, the more I think about it, the floor I used to think maybe was Minnesota at the back end of the first round with one of their first round picks, but maybe the absolute floor is Detroit at 35.
1: Yeah, I don't see how you can pass on him if you're, if, geez, if you're Detroit here at 35. That, that, that's just like a guy built. I mean, the comp is Trey Flowers. That's a guy built for your scheme there. In Detroit, when he brings the table and just your desperate need for anyone who can rush the passer, he's shown that and he's still young. And yes, the athletic testing is a concern and that's probably what's going to drop him. But if you're playing him more in the interior, playing him more head up over offensive tackles, it's not nearly as big a concern in my mind.
0: Yeah, I I really do like the fit for Epinesa to Detroit. All right, next one here is Kyle Duggar, the Lenore Ryan safety. You said he could maybe add 10 and play off-ball linebacker. Regardless of what position you call him, he's going to be playing a ton in the box. And I think with Denver, him going to Denver at 46 – is good value. And also we've talked about this before, but Kyle Duggar going to a creative defensive coordinator that wants to send, you know, safeties and linebackers at the the quarterback and do creative things with them is where he has to go. And I think him going either Denver or Baltimore are two fits. I really like for Duggar. So if he goes to Denver here. I like this fit.
1: Yeah. They lost will parks uh, to the Eagles over the course of free agency. I think Duggar is, can play a similar role with just more explosiveness. Parks was not near the athlete. Duggar is, I mean, not a lot of guys are that guy's freak. So, I think he just, again, versatility to that defense. It will get utilized to its fullest. And so uh, that could be, they haven't making something good there defensively so far here, Denver.
0: While we're on the conversation with Kyle Duggar, I think this is an opportunity to talk about Kyle Duggar versus Jeremy Chin, because I'm seeing some analysts and some hype around Chin potentially being a better prospect than Duggar. Both of them tested out like freakish athletes, but where are you right now with Jeremy Chin and compare the two players? So,
1: Duggar I just like his physicality far far more like he just plays up to that you know athletic testing of those jumps and that speed like he is flying around like he's willing to t- crank it up to 100 and attack the ball carrier attack you know a route that sort of thing Chin, I didn't see that nearly as much and he didn't play uh I I think he was better a little bit better deeper or like he was more of an off off ball safety and, you know, cover four. like, he was more like a split safety look there at SIU for most of the time. And I just didn't see the sort of recklessness attacking. Like you, you could see athleticism, you, the athleticism showed up at times, but you didn't see it as consistently. You didn't see the play style uh, playing up to those physical traits. And so that's just what worries me when you got, we have a guy who is that physical freak, but like is tentative. That's what I saw more in Shin.
0: Gotcha. All right, moving forward to more of my favorites here. LaVisca Chenault Jr., the Colorado wide receiver, falling. I would say falling. Right now he's a top 20 player on PFF's board, falling to the New York Jets at number 48. Two reasons I like this. One, I do think LaVisca Chenault falls. I do not think he goes in the first round due to the injury history. He had an injury come up at the combine. He's had multiple surgeries over the past few years. Yes, he's this freakish explosive dude with rare talent, but injury concern, injury risk is real, and I think for that reason he falls, but going to the Jets where they need a weapon, a guy that can be a difference maker but maybe can't afford to spend a first round pick on a wide receiver due to offensive line concerns, adding LaVisca Chenault Jr. at 48 could be a dream scenario for Sam Darnold, Adam Gase and company because you're getting a difference maker when healthy. The concerns with the Chanel are not what he can do on the football field, but more so if he can stay healthy. And if he stays healthy at pick 48, say he plays, you know, 600 to 800 snaps next year. I mean, you're talking about a very, very good pick with great value at 48.
1: Yes. Yeah, so then this mock jets go OT first pick. And then obviously they are banking on the fact that the wide receiver class is so deep, you're going to get a good one on the wrap. And I mean, this is a good one. Like Chenault, you go back and watch the 18 tape when he's fully healthy early in the season before. I mean, he got injured midseason even that year. Injuries piled up this past season. And the way he can go from full speed to stopping on a dime, his stop start ability is just rare for a guy 225 pounds. Like, you, that was kind of the DK Metcalf concern last year was yes, he could crank it up and that was super explosive, but trying to throttle down, it took him like five yards over five yards to run a hitch, you know, to, to go from full speed to a stop. LaVisca does it in less than a yard. Like that guy can just stop and then go and then stop and then go. He just has that special sort of, uh, you know, movement skills that I think he'll figure it out. And everyone, everyone and their mother knows he's a raw route runner. Like that's the knock on him. Everyone knows that, but I'll bet on the guy with those traits to figure it out rather than if you're a raw rot runner and have like DK Metcalf-esque flexibility, then, like, then you might not ever figure it out. But I think he has the flexibility, all the physical tools to improve in that regard.
0: Yeah, raw route runner injury risk. That's kind of the two big things that come up with LaVisca, but also like turn on his 2018 tape and look at how Colorado uses this kid. I I I have to give a round of applause to Colorado for knowing what they had in LaVisca and knowing that to get the best of his ability, they need to do everything and anything with him. They had (laughs) him. Like they had him at like halfback. They had him at like tight end, offset tight end, slot receiver, outside receiver. They got him the football any way they could near the last scrimmage away from the last scrimmage. And I think that's the role he plays in the NFL. Can he stay healthy doing it remains to be seen. He caught
1: 87 passes and broke 29 tackles in <laughs> nine games in nine games. He only played nine games that year. And just blew it up in those all nine of those games.
0: I mean, all you need to do is, is. is watch the first game. I think they play Colorado State and they have him lined yeah. up like a wingback type of thing. And like they just run play action, dump off to the flats, then like the entire game. And he just like he just breaks tackles and gains first downs, regardless yeah. of where he catches the football, regardless of how they play it. Like that's the type of player you're getting in LaVisca Chanel, a guy that with the ball in his hands is legit like very difficult to stop. But I, again, the concerns are like, can you win with him down the football field on like a, in advanced route tree, can, can he stay healthy? Again, those are concerns Are are legit, though. I
1: will say his releases were good, though. Like, he's not, he's not a have to completely change everything, like completely teach him how to play everything about wide receivers. Releases are good, and the way he attacks the ball is good. He's been very good in contested catches over the course of his career. It's just like I don't think anyone's taught him how to run routes because they didn't, like, utilize him in a route running role.
0: We said this before. But I'll say it again. You cannot, if you do draft LaVisca Chanel, you cannot just play him an outside receiver. You have to have a plan with Chanel if you want to get the best of his, you know, best of his abilities. Another so thing too maybe the, that, the maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe
1: the Jets isn't the best.
0: Maybe not. Maybe yeah, the Jets isn't the best. Like you okay. need, you need enough. I mean, I you you've said the Saints before at the back end of the first round, but maybe he falls around two of the Saints. But like, I just think about the like or like the Chiefs. Yeah, low – Oh, okay. Well, like, I feel like the Chiefs is another offense where, like, you can tell they can get creative with receivers and that stuff. So, anyway, the last thing I'll bring up with Chennault is that it doesn't get talked about enough, but, like, this guy's one of the better contested catch receivers in this class from a pure contested catch percentage. Like, he, he caught a lot of contested balls over the past two years, and it doesn't get brought up a ton. All right, yeah, moving holy forward.
1: Holy shit, that was a lot of Chennault talk.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Everything. Anyway. <laughs> we broke him down. We 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 threw you guys the, know to all about. you need to know. Yeah.
0: Got another receiver here, pick 51. The Dallas Cowboys is like KJ Hamler, the Penn State wideout. We were talking to Steve Palazzolo yesterday, and I think he puts it in the best way I want this kid on my football team because he's a threat to NFL defenses. Rega- like ball skills are bad. I understand that. Um, you probably need to help. I mean, he's a slight of frame, maybe can't play outside receiver against press. You're gonna have to get kind of scheme him free releases, but like. This guy threatens defenses in a similar way that Tyreek Hill and other very fast receivers can do. I think with KJ Hamler at 51, you're getting a guy that can do damage down the football field and put defenses on their heels.
1: Yes. I think I'm learning my lesson. Last year, I was too low on Michael Hardman. I was like super dynamic athlete, but like had similar questions about how he tracked the ball down the football field and with drops. And was he going to be able to? But when you're that dynamic, when you're just on yeah. a different level in terms of, being able to create separation, yeah, you know, I'll 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 live with a few drops. I'll live with a few bobbles. I'll live with not being able to make contested catches. You're just not going to have that many when you're a freak like AJ Hamler. So if he falls to the mid second because of those concerns and because he's you know small dude, 5'9", 185, whatever, he is a massive massive upgrade over you know Cedric Wilson there for the Cowboys right now. It brings something just to the table that the Cowboys don't have, and I think would really take that offense into the stratosphere
0: I mean he could be a lot of maybe what they want Tavon Austin to be down the football field but like I yes, feel like a better actually, threat down the football field not like a gimmicky player that gets like thrown the football behind the line of scrimmage a ton. I like push him down the football. I think bring up my Cole Hardman's a good a good take because I remember talking about me Cole Hardman with you before it's like he's this guy's this guy can fly he's got explosiveness but then you brought up kind of similar concerns ball skills maybe can't get off press that kind of stuff but again when you have a guy when he goes to the Chiefs and they scheme him open and yeah. they find ways to get free releases. I mean, he's a freaking threat. Like that's how and it, it works.
1: And that's why the fit, you already have Michael Gallup. You have, have Mari Cooper. They play yeah. on the outside. You're fine there. You don't need to ask Hamler to do anything that he can't do exceptionally well. Like you're not yeah. asking him to be the guy. You're asking I him will to be say this though. Threat
0: you add Hamler with Cooper, you got you got drops concerns out there. <laughs> Both those guys can can have their fair this share of true. drops. Hamler Hamler has worse ball skills than Cooper though. Ball, Cooper just drops weird. His his drops are inconsistent. Drops. Yeah, the concentration yeah. drops are weird. All right, next pick here. Let's move a little bit quick more quickly here. According yeah, the rest Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that was absurd. I'm a Amari Cooper stan, and I still can't. I mean, I just can't believe he did that. Whatever. No Igg monogamy, the Auburn cornerback going to the Tennessee Titans. I like this fit because one, I really do think the ceiling for this guy, like the high end in his game is very, very good. Like he can match and mirror potentially with C.J. Henderson, Jeffrey Okuda, because he has that athletic ability, because he can, he's that rare of an athlete. And I, I think a good comp for him, in my opinion, would be Adore Jackson. I know the Tennessee Ch- Titans do like those types where, like, this guy's athletic enough and fast enough to stick with anyone you've got. Teaching him how to play the position is what's got to come next.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm glad you brought this one up because I was on Nashville radio. This was Monday, and they are like, Give us some, uh, like, give us some corners who maybe like were fast, ran a uh, sub four or five that, you know, could fit for the Titans in the second round. And I literally forgot every single cornerback that ran a sub four or five. Like in that moment, I was like, I, I uh, uh, stumbled over myself. Didn't think of a single name afterwards. I'm like, Jesus Christ. No, like is a perfect, like fit for them. Put him in the mock draft because I think that one makes a lot of sense. Now, does he fall to 61 I have no No. clue at this point. Probably not, but the dude has the movement skills again, that they would covet that they have in the past. A very, uh, very capable athlete, just so raw from a ball skills perspective, does not have that six pass breakups this past season. And, and the worrisome thing is like, he didn't really get better from 18 to 19, even though he's so still so young, like still a lot of the same concerns are there on tape. So that's worrisome. But, Again, like his talent level, mm-hmm. like I said, he might not make it 61 because he has the movement skills at this cornerback position that, I mean, probably only CJ Henderson and Jeffrey Okuda are better than.
0: Yeah, two things there. Igbenogony, turn on the Alabama tape. Watch every route. Like, don't just watch his targets. Watch every route. What he can do with Devontae Smith and and some of the other Alabama receivers he covers in that game It's just like not a lot of corners can do. Like, you just can't, like you don't have that ability. You don't have that special athleticism and speed. Two, I want. I went back and watched Jeffrey Okuda's 2018 tape. He wasn't. I, he didn't start a ton of games or he was kind of used in sporadically, but Oh my gosh, Jeffrey could is so damn good. I feel like if you watch the 2019 tape. He doesn't get tested as much as you do. You do see in 2018, but like, there's some reps against Jalen Rager where, like, he really, really, it's almost robotic in like how he understands the position and like positioning, like where he should line up pre snap, where he should be post snap and two man cover two, all these different things. Like, it, it was very impressive what Jeffrey Akuda put on tape. I, I really do love that prospect.
1: Yeah. I mean, having a, we have Akuda fourth on our board, like above Jerry Judy. And we've been talking about how much we love Jerry Judy for God, over a year now. And that's just how. Special, we think Akuda is. Like, and it's yes. not because of positional value, it's just Akuda has everything. He is like the Chase Young of cornerback prospects. He's mm-hmm. that good. Like, he Go really. Go back.
0: Go back to 2018 and turn on the TCU game and watch the entire game. Because in the beginning, one of the Ohio State cornerbacks is getting kind of torched by uh, Rager. Then they throw Akuda in, and TCU instantly starts trying to target uh, Jeffrey Akuda underneath on like passes behind the line of scrimmage, tests is tackling, all the stuff. And the dude instantly holds his own. Still a very young player. I think he was 19 years old in 2018. Like, I mean, it, it's really impressive like how much he understands the position, how athletic he is, the measurements. Like, Jeffrey Akuda is one of those. Really was it Sheffield team. last year? Sheffield got. Oh, yeah. Sheffield. Yeah, that's right. I think it was comp- like Arnett and Sheffield might have been the guys who were starting or something along those lines. But again, I, I turn turn on the twenty 28- eighth.
1: He was a blackout segment.
0: <laughs> there you the go. <laughs> um, all right. Next pick here. Josh Uche, uh, the Michigan State, not Michigan State, Michigan edge defender, ball linebacker type of hybrid going to. The Miami Dolphins. I love this fit because the defense they play in Miami fits what Josh Uchi wants to do with off-ball linebackers, edge defenders. Play them all over the place, throw them at the pass, you know, at the quarterback. And I went back and watched more of his tape. Like his flashy plays, like his flashy plays are very, very good. Like even if you draw on 2018 tape, like he turns some Northwestern offensive tackles into body bags. Same with like there's a couple handful of snaps against Rutgers. He does he does a nice speed to power on Tristan Worst, even though Worst is able to reset and hold his own there. But like Uchi has some reps where you're like, oh man, like this guy's got talent. I talked to him a little bit yesterday, trying to schedule him for an interview for the podcast. He said he ran, he didn't run his 40-yard dash at uh the combine, pro day got canceled, but he ran a 40-yard dash in the rain, said he caught the four five, is aiming for the four fours. I think if he tested at the combine and, and tested how I think he can test, I think he'd be getting more first-round hype. Maybe I don't see him as a first-rounder, but I still think if he did test, you'd start to see maybe top 50, top 40 player hype.
1: I don't see four or five on tape. If he really, really did, if you, I mean, if he really is feasibly in the, in the four or four range, yes, you could talk me into drafting him in the first round. I don't see that necessarily on tape, but again, like he had such a weird role at Michigan. A lot of his best reps are him standing up over the top of a guard and then yes. being the guard. Yeah. Like he didn't rush off the edge that much. Only 303 pass rushing snaps the last two seasons total. Like he's just, I don't know what they were doing with them. I was scared to really throw them out there and they do have a heavy rotation, but like, I can't see taking this guy off the field with how good he was. He had the highest win rate of any pass rusher over the last two years. So like he has been very good, but then you worry about those undersized guys, but then he and has the lack of experience. and the lack of experience, but he has the length to play the edge. And so that's why I think this dolphins fits great because, they will utilize those guys correctly. Those under so the if he goes here, if he goes to the Lions, if he goes to the Patriots, they will utilize him, and that he will drop into coverage, a good deal. But also be used on stunts a ton, get you know one on ones against tight ends, running backs, that sort of thing because of the scheme. And I think he's just going to dominate if you get him one on one against the tight end, against the running back. He has that skill, mm-hmm. he uses his hands really well. But man, I really just didn't see four or five. If he really, is a four or five guy and has that explosiveness. I mean, we could talk. We should. talk. Yeah,
0: I mean, I could also be even if he is a four or five guy, I could still keep, be convinced that maybe he's not a top 40, top 50 player due to low snap percentage because he just hasn't done it a ton. And I feel like there's going to be a learning curve when he just play more snaps, regardless of what position you line him up at. The other thing is, too, like after he told me Four or five range, or whatever you know. In the rain, I looked up some like statistical, like some mock draftable comps for him. Like you look at like Co Moore, the former Raiders, like off mm. the linebacker, edge defender type. I think makes sense. Joey Porter, a younger version of Joey Porter, and then uh, Clay Matthews came up as a potential option. Like that kind of player, though, where like undersized potentially to play edge, but like has some juice to him to beat offensive tackles on the edge. Like I kind of liked the the, the those types the of comps. comps for him. Hmm. Yeah. I think he
1: has, like I said, of the undersized guys, when you throw him, Carter Coughlin, Zach Bond, and he's one of the few that I'd actually keep on the edge and actually let him him try to rush the passer more.
0: Yeah. I, I would say that too was Zach Bond. Like, I feel like he was good at uh, edge defender Wisconsin. I don't know. Like, I, maybe, maybe he have been make burned it
1: work. too much by these guys. I've been burned by a lot of these undersized guys. Yeah. Just go to the NFL. It's and easy just, like, to get shot.
0: burned. I mean, it's easy. I mean, Miles Burris, San Diego State, maybe. It's easy to get burned. All right. Anyway, moving forward, uh, t- I got a little two for one here. Terrell Burgess to the Raiders at 80. And then right after that, Travis Gibson, the Tulsa edge defender at 81 to the Raiders. Back to back, very good picks. I watched a ton of Burgess recently. I love his fit as a potential, like slot—you know, slot cornerback, strong safety type of hybrid role. And Travis Gibson should be coming up boards. So I think in the right—you know—in the right system, playing the right role, playing like a, lo- a lot more wide nine than he played at Tulsa. He could be a very productive player, one that can actually rush the passer, unlike the edge defender they drafted at four overall a couple years ago.
1: You've successfully brought up every Raiders pick, which I—I'm I'm flattered. I, that means I did a good job here. There you go. Um, <laughs> Terrell Burgess, though, like, you got to move Lamarck's joiner back to safety. He's He can't be playing slot again. That was not his best role. He was at his best when he was a true safety role at the with the Rams. Slot, he just looked out of his depth. Just looked completely uh, like he'd never played slot before, which, well, he hadn't at, you know, when he was in L.A. So uh, move him back. Trevis Gibson, though, like you, you hit on the guy last year, the trade space school guy, uh, small school guy off the edge with uh, who produced that's Trevis Gibson in this year's class. Like if you're going to draft a guy in the mid rounds who has everything you want that can rush the passer, but maybe just like you have reservations about, cause he didn't play at a school, didn't play in a role that was favorable. Uh, that's Trevis Gibson here. So now Max Crosby was younger. He got a lot bigger over the course of the year. Trevis Gibson already is, I don't want to say 22 might be turned 23 as a rookie. So he's already older. Uh, but the physical tools are also ready there and he already has the size. So, uh, you can never have too much pass rush. They don't have a ton of needs at this point, actually the Raiders. So get yourself another, go, go get another guy like uh Max Crosby.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's great. I mean, with Lamarcus Joyner too, I remember when they signed him, it was like, I, I, I was tweeting out saying like, it's obvious that they need to play him at free safety. Like it makes too much sense. Like this is where he had a ton of success in Los Angeles. And then when they came out and said, he's playing slots, like, what are you doing? Like, like he just I don't understand. Like, you know, all three two teams have this data like John Gruden has talked to us before about how much he loves you know PF and what you know how he uses it and those things it's like I, when the grades are that different from slot I mean from slot quarterback to free safety I just feel like you'd you'd look into it a little bit more maybe watch all his plays at slot watch all his plays at free safety and clearly see that like he's a better player At at that other position. I don't know. It's interesting. Last favorite pick. And then we got to doggy a bit for my least favorite picks. Gino Stone to the Baltimore Ravens at the back end of the last pick of the third round. Number 106. Reason I like this is because Gino Stone in in a free safety role with the Baltimore Ravens, I think, can do a ton of damage. And the Baltimore Ravens love to draft these smart players that really, really understand uh, uh, how to do things on the back end. I also looked this up. Baltimore sends defensive backs at the quarterback more than any other team in football. And I think Gino stone can, can, can handle a very multifaceted versatile role in in, uh, in, in terms of assignment.
1: Yeah. I think he's even would be like, so they play a ton of uh nickel dime there as well. just throw a ton of defensive backs over the middle of the field. And that's just him. Like he, he is a middle of the field sort of capable of reading, you know, coverages that are routes at a really high level, really good instincts. Uh, May not be like the greatest in run defense, but they don't they they rely on that defensive line and that you know Brand Williams, Clay's Campbell now as strong as it is up front. They rely on those guys to stop the run and let the guys behind them play pass defense. And Gino Stone as underneath coverage defender. I mean, he's about as good as he gets in this class. Like that dude is spot on with his reads. So. If he falls all the way to 106. I don't know if he will. I don't know where I have no clue where the NFL sees him at this point, but God, that'd be one of my favorite picks of the draft.
0: I mean, that's another guy too, where you turn on the tape, don't just watch his targets. Don't just watch like his key plays in, in PFS system, but like watch every play against some of the top offenses because you get to see like how much he understands game, like throws he's like, there are throws that he limits that quarterbacks just don't make and therefore like don't always show up mm-hmm. in the box score, even in the grading system. Like this guy really, really understands how to play zone coverage. And I just feel like I really covet smart players at defensive back. Remember Matt LaFleur saying he wants smart players at slot corner slot receiver? I think getting really smart players at defensive back can be very, very beneficial, especially if you want to run complex assignments, complex complex coverages, et I know that's something too that Nick Saban values at Alabama in terms of getting defensive backs that do can really, really understand coverages and, and be smart players on the back end. All righty. Let's move to our least favorite picks. I don't have as many. I have a shitload of favorite picks, but I don't have as I'll, many.
1: Yours. I don't have any. These are all great picks.
0: Yeah, I have, uh, I have my, my first one, and this one's obvious. We've talked about this before, but I think it would be an absolute disaster, a, a complete and utter mistake, if the Giants, with all the tackles on the board, at number four, take Makai Becton of Louisville. I just don't think he's the best tackle available. He's not the best player available. I think this is a reach for size, and that rarely ever pans out.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I take it back. Some of these picks do stink, and I was more projecting what GMs would do. This isn't necessarily what I would do, so... Yeah, I mean, the guy backed in. So the biggest thing here is I think drafting any one of these tackles just without exploring a trade option to someone is a mistake. Like without exploring, and I realistically think like the Panthers could possibly move up to four and go target at Jeffrey Okuda if the Lions do trade back or someone like that, or Isaiah Simmons. When you can draft, when you can go all the way down to probably 11 and still get one of the top tackles in this class don't go reach for the guy at 4 like like when when there's this tier where they're so close together you can afford to move back and pick you know the last in that tier this isn't like the quarterback position where you know the difference matters so much in these evaluations they're all very similar evaluations these top guys it's not that big of a difference between them so
0: Especially yeah. if you're targeting Mikay Becton it's like, oh, Yeah,
1: and especially you, if you're targeting Mekhi Becton
0: you, you trade down It's like, yeah We really want Mikai Becton Hopefully guys target like worse And Jedrick Wills ahead And we're able to land him Or they take him for us And we can actually get a better player That would be great too So I think that Trading down I think is very smart And so, But again Are the Giants going to trade down? they never done with David Gettleman I, I don't think they do I think they end up just Taking Mikai Becton Or Derek Brown at four Which gives a good transition To the next pick here I think, again This is another Where, where I sit with the Jags at nine If they take Derek Derrick Brown at nine, when there's receivers on the board, when there's better cornerbacks on the board, I, I just don't think it's a good, it's a good decision. Like Derrick Brown is not going to offer the value that you can get by drafting one of the receivers available that will likely be available at number nine.
1: Yeah. I think I said this on the, uh, Steve, the, with the pod with Sam and Steve where they, so they had gone receiver there. So they went Judy. And I, I said, the take is drafting Derek Brown is is akin to the Leonard Fournette pick where you didn't really have needs elsewhere. That probably was your biggest need running back, but it wasn't like, and so you went safe and it wasn't going to move the needle and you stay a bad team. The, the, the drafting Derek Brown at nine is your you know, he's going to be the cornerstone of your defense, high floor guy, but you're still a bad team. You get a Jerry Judy in there. You get a guy who's a dynamic number one type of wide receiver. And then all of a sudden make, you know, not only does Jerry Judy so when you get a number one wide receiver like Jerry Judy, not only does he improve your number one wide receiver, is he better than the, like a DJ Chark? Now all of a sudden your number two is better because your number two is DJ Chark, and now your number three is better because now your number three is DD D. Westbrook instead of D, instead of uh, I don't know Mar- Marquise Lee. So like you're you are improving multiple positions on your roster by adding that true number one type of guy, whereas just adding Derek Brown's not really going to move the needle for you. So. With the roster as bad as they are, go to the valuable positions. So, yeah, I agree with the Derrick Brown thing, but it's just the fit. I worry about it because the fit really is like clean for them.
0: I think there's you do use similar rationale for this next one. I dislike it's, it's Kenneth Murray, the Baltimore Ravens at 28. I like the fit. I think that's where he has the most success in the NFL. I just think it's too early. Like Kenneth Murray, the Baltimore Ravens at 28, or would you rather have, I feel like a Davis Gaither or another off-ball linebacker later in the draft, I would say the, the latter there. I think Kenneth Murray at 28, the value is not there. Maybe the fit is, I think Baltimore would be smarter targeting another wide receiver targeting, you know, um, cornerback. I, I just going higher position value with first round picks is, Always, where I'm going to lean, and I think there's going to be value at receiver and at cornerback at the back end of the first round.
1: Yeah, we talked about this on the last pod, but the difference between Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray's night day to me, Kenneth Murray is closer to Jordan Brooks, the Texas Tech linebacker, than he is Patrick Queen in my eyes. Like there you he's go. He, there's just too much concern, and it's and I'm not like you're not getting can you think about all the guys that really move the needle at linebacker in the NFL, you know, the, the, the Luke Keekly's, uh, I guess, like uh, formerly Luke Keekly, Bobby Wagner, um, Dion Jones, these guys, like they don't, they're not, they don't play. their play style is not like Kenneth Murray. Yeah. Kenneth, the Kenneth Murray play style. There's not a lot of guys really getting by at an elite level that play kind of like that. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm just hesitant. That's all.
0: Yeah, I remember when we had the discussion yesterday about kind of finalizing the draft board, I, I think one of the first things I said, and I, I know you agreed, was that there has to be a bigger separation between Murray and Patrick Queen because I just don't mm-hmm. think they're going to be able to offer the same value in the roles they play at the next level. Next one here is Terrell Lewis, the Alabama edge defender, going to the Seattle Seahawks at 59. Just ahead, a pick ahead of Julian Acora. I can't get on board with that. I know Seattle oh, – yeah. cut- I know Seattle covers different things, but like Julian, the is an elite athlete. One of these guys that I think could be much more valuable and a much more productive player than Terrell Lewis. I, I I, maybe you're more predicting what Seattle does there, but like, I think if both those guys are on the board and you're targeting edge defender, no matter what a is the guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't hate that. I I just kind of try to put my mind in Seattle's mind, trying to try to get inside John Schneider's mind. And I don't know. They drafted LJ Collier last year, so I don't know what the hell they're going to do. So I just kind of threw shit out of the wall there at that point. <laughs> but,
0: that might have been the I, late in the Tuesday endeavor, the Tuesday yeah, all nighter. You know, I mean, Aquara,
1: I just don't get why the NFL is not, why we haven't heard more buzz for Aquara. I don't know. I don't get it. I, yeah. will, I will need someone. We tried to get DJ to explain it to me, and I put my fingers in my ears and wouldn't listen. So maybe that's <laughs> the problem, but I just still don't get it.
0: The Golden Domer just can't understand. All right, last one here. Man, I still think about at the combine where I had to sit next to you and fucking Brady Quinn, just chopping it up for like a good 10 minutes about you were uh, there. I don't Randy, remember.
1: That.
0: <laughs> random rec leagues at Notre Dame. Brady Quinn literally said to me, the, one of the first few things he said to me was what school did you go to? That's how fucking stupid I felt like it was just, it was just absurd. Anyway, let's move forward. Brian Edwards. I should have gotten to Notre Dame. <laughs> Brian okay. Edwards, the last pick. Um, my last least favorite pick, and it's Brian Edwards to the Jets at 68. I just think that's too high. I don't see Brian Edwards as a top 70 player, and I think if the Jets already added LaVisca Chennault Jr. at 48, adding, like, Brian Edwards is just, like, a missable pick for me. I think they could go elsewhere at at 68.
1: So there are people that love Edwards, like, legit, because he broke out at 18 years old. Uh, That was his breakout age. 100 percentile. um, Dominator age rating. But, But in all seriousness, like, he there are things to like about his game. He is better after the catch than a lot of big receivers, but like you worry about the big receivers just getting locked up at the line and, and he's pretty physical, but he really doesn't have quicks like to get uh, himself free from, uh, you know, receivers at the line of scrimmage or down the football field. So I just struggle with him uh, being able to create separation on his own at the next level. And, same. and so 68 to the jets. I mean, he's kind of a, he is kind of redundant to like a Quincy and noon while there. And I do regret that fit in retrospect, but what are you gonna do? Yeah.
0: What are you bad. gonna do? It's a three round mock. It's not fucking easy. No one said this is going to be easy anyway. Um, really appreciate that. Really appreciate you taking the flack on the least favorite and the praise on the favorite picks. Now let's pivot to the interview with Roto world NBC sports analyst, Josh Norris. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is Roto-World and NBC, NBC Sports analyst Josh Norris. Josh, great to have you. That is my name. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing great. Uh, it's great to bring you on. I know you've been with Roto-World for quite some time now. Like You've been there for, you're one of the lifers over there. Can you talk to us about you know, your background a bit and how you got started with them?
2: Yeah, uh, I will try to keep it short. Um, so I graduated from college in 2011, Elon University, go Phoenix. Used to be the Fighting Christians, only like back in, 2001. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, right. I kind of wish it was it was um, that mascot because I mean, what an unbelievable story. Anyways, um, <laughs> I, you know, I think a lot of people who get into football never played in college. But in some ways, that was like their main interest while they were in college. And that was certainly the case for me. Um, I was lucky enough to have an internship with the then St. Louis Rams heading into my senior year with their scouting department. So I was you know, with them during training camp, that was Sam Bradford's rookie year. You know, James Laurinaitis, Chris Long, uh, Jason Smith had just been their first round pick the, the year prior. Um, plenty of stories from there. Was lucky enough then to be invited back for all seven rounds of the 2011 NFL draft. Um, And the lockout happened and I did not get a job with the then St. Louis Rams. And so I just took to Twitter and started just communicating with people who I enjoyed their work and enjoyed their opinions and kind of latched on with Evan Silva there. And, uh, you know, just started sharing DMS and, writing for them freelance wise and then pitch them turning their college football section into an NFL draft section and as you guys know once you do a little bit and you ask for more and you do a little bit more it kind of snowballs as you go along and you know a year or two later moved up to Connecticut and I've been up there for for 7 years ever since
0: Awesome, man. Well, I, I want to also talk about because you obviously have that background in scouting. I want to talk about your current evaluation process, kind of like how you go about scouting prospects. Like I, we've talked to Daniel Jeremiah about this. He says he's got I think you have to earn your third tape is what he would say. You know, watch two, hmm. two games on a player and then uh, watch two games on a player. And then if he does pass the test, you know, pass the sniff test of like a top 150 type of player, you earn your third and fourth tape or wherever it may be. I'd be interested to know how you go. You go about, you know, scouting prospects and evaluating.
2: Yeah. I think this year has changed all of that. And so I, I, I think if you don't mind, I would rather just talk about previous years because this year's kind of just been thrown out the window with a lot of it. Um, you know, most of my stuff, cause I focus on the NFL up until really January 1st. Uh, you know, I, then I start cramming all East West shrine game prospects. And so that's about 100 plus that have been invited to, to that event. And it's funny, you mentioned DJ and, you know, watching at least two games. Um, you know, a lot of those Shrine game guys, and I'm sure both of you have watched some of them, you kind of get a sense of who they are in 10 to 20 plays at times. And, you know, a lot of those players aren't going to wind up in, as long-term NFL players. So if I'm being completely transparent here, I might only watch about 10 to 20 plays of those guys. And if they don't really get my juices flowing, if they don't find like an a, Uh, a trade I'm attached to, then I'll move on. And I have like an early sense of who they are early in the draft process. And then I can always go back to it. Obviously then you have the senior bowl, you do the exact same thing, go a little bit more in depth with those. But what I've learned also is, is how much I value athletic testing. And, you know, everyone always says like the eye in the sky doesn't lie. I think it absolutely does. I think our eyes lie to us all the time. And so having a, uh, another figure or another number that allows us to cross check ourselves um, and really how it can be to me imperative for certain positions, pass rushers, offensive linemen um, and how it aids evaluations really does help me out. But typically, I mean, I'll at least watch two games on every player other than the 20 I might watch in a player. I'm not too uh, fond of, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite simple. Um, Just trying to find where players succeed. And if they, can do the exact same thing and win in the exact same way in the NFL.
1: You, there was a lot of what you said there that I liked. The, so a few things to unpack. The first one that might sound like crass to say, but like the 20 place thing is for real at certain positions. Like, yeah. especially certain positions. I don't think, like if a quarterback just doesn't have the arm strength, if a tackle just like can't move or get out of a stance, they ain't gonna play in the NFL and you can just cross those guys off your list. So as bad as that might sound, it is a very real thing. The other thing I wanted to kind of touch on was your value of athletic testing and the fact that the eyes do lie, and I can attest to that. That I do think that is very valid, especially when, you know, when you have these forty-yard dashes and like the combine testing, you might not see a guy run. You know, in his role, he might not do. Uh, he might not be asked to actually run in a straight line, but you're going to have to have him do that in the NFL. So, what I guess the biggest thing over the past decade, since you've been doing this almost a decade, what's the biggest thing that's kind of changed in your evaluation? Is it the athletic testing relying on that? Or what's, what's like the biggest thing you've learned over that period of time?
2: Yeah, it it definitely is. And it's, I think partly to blame of how the combine is presented. Um, Not that, you know, I could ever present the combine better than people who do it professionally and produce it. And I mean, it's a great event. And I, I love that it gets someone's exposure, but really when you're watching it from your couch, it's the 40 yard dash and then it's positional drills and that's it. And so that forgets, you know, six or seven other tests that really make up a player's athletic profile. And, you know, someone might run at four or five, five 40 And that's kind of average for their position, but then go and have fantastic jumps, fantastic agilities and test in like the 93rd percentile. Yet that just like floats underneath the table and it's not brought up. So realizing that sure, people use the 40 yard dash as this universal test for athleticism. But when in reality we need to really figure out and comprehend all six or seven tests that make up an ath- athletic profile. And then factor in weight. Weight's a big part of that, right? Because it's very different when, you know, at the wide receiver position, we might have receivers that are 40 pounds difference and they both might run a four, five, one. Well, a guy who's 220 is very different than a guy who's 180 running a four, five, one. So always factor in weight with that. And one final note I'm, I'm not saying that. You know, athletic profile is imperative at every single position. I truly don't think it is for early drafted running backs at all. But when you get to different points in the draft, I want to bank on athleticism. So you have your Matt Breitas, your Mike Boones, your Raheem Mostert, your so on and so forth, who in the sixth, seventh undrafted free agents. Yeah, I would love to take shots. At, at athletic running backs, then on the other side of that, I will absolutely not select an interior defensive lineman or an edge rusher who's like in the bottom 30th percentile in athleticism. Because to me, you really need juice in those moments when you're facing pa- uh, pass protectors and offensive linemen in one on one situation. So I, I don't think you can completely implement athletic tests and equally at every single position.
1: Are there guys? So you touched on said the 40 gets overrated and I 100% agree with that, but there are other guys in this class that you've identified that maybe the 40 didn't look good, but the rest of the athletic testing or like you said, the size, the weight adjustment really makes them look like a much, much better athlete than maybe the general public thinks they are right now.
2: Oh, um, that's a good question. This year it's tough because we just don't have enough athletic profiles. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I it's, know. it's really so sucked. you and I talked about this in, on my podcast, Mike, where mm-hmm. like just watching edge rushers, like one after the other, like really 10 or 12 in a row because I try to watch positions all at the same time. They were all just stand-up two-point rushers who were trying to do the exact same thing and one on the edge and like work around offensive tackles. Well, having different athletic profiles where one guy is in the 85th percentile, one is in the 20th, 25th percentile would really benefit us in that moment. Um, I might point if I'm just looking at wide receiver, someone like Brandon Ayuk, who's – you know, ran a four five Oh and you know, anything below like above that four five zero Mark is not going to turn anyone's heads yet. He put out a profile in the 89th percentile, didn't do any agilities, but had a great vert, a great broad jump. Obviously his 10 yard split was quite good at one five two and that's all at 205 pounds. So, um, you know, I I think Zach Whitman does a really good job of this. You can check out his work at three sigma athlete.com. Um, he's really kind of Warped and shaped my opinion with all this. But again, I will go back to I will be fascinated to see in two or three or four years how different this class might look success wise in relation to where they were drafted based on our lack, at least from the outside looking in, of their athletic profiles.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we were talking to Scott Pioli, the former Kansas City Chiefs GM, and he was saying that a lot of that information will get to the NFL teams. It just won't get to media through them sending videos and stuff like that. I was talking to Josh Uche, the Michigan Edge defender. He's saying he's running his 40-yard dash and then doing agility testing and stuff on video and sending it to teams. It'll be interesting to see because I think the media is going to be lower on guys that maybe have better athletic testing that gets sent to those teams. Let's get specific to this class a little bit. We talked a little bit on guys that you think maybe, Outperform where they tested at the combine, but let's talk about your favorites in this draft
2: class. Who are some of your guys in this draft class? Well, I'll give you two names and you can ask about either one of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, favorites, it's, it's, it's fun from our desk chairs, looking at these classes, because, you know, obviously favorites are who we rank at the top of the board, but then we all have personal favorites of players of where, you know, we kind of see other people rank them or, or how much they are talked about by others. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one who is mentioned near the top of his position, one of my favorites is Denzel Mims. I absolutely love Denzel Mims' evaluation. Now, another wide receiver that's further down the list um, is Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. Um, those are probably two of my favorites at this loaded wide receiver class. I think Mims, if I can just focus on him for a second. Um, you know, he's coming out of Baylor, and obviously this isn't like, you know, Corey Coleman-Baylor offense. It's a little more advanced than that. But as as... Not prehistoric as his route tree might be, but as much as he wasn't asked to do a lot from that standpoint, I think he actually does a lot of the small things really well. And like the more I watched, the more I picked up on them in that he is able in his routes with little, you know, elbow bumps or, or hand usage or even sh- using a shoulder to create like that little sliver of separation on contact in his breaks And whereas other people slow down in his moments, it seems like Mims plays faster in those moments. And obviously you have a fantastic athlete who has acrobatic footwork and body control along the sideline as well. So, again, while we might not have seen a Stefan Diggs-like route tree during his time at Baylor, just from the small details and from the athletic standpoint and from a size standpoint, um, I'm – kind of fully invested in in Denzel Mims being a a really great professional.
1: I am so glad you brought up Denzel Mims because that's actually how we were going to close off today's podcast and Uh the debate between Denzel Mims and Brandon Ayuk. But I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper because I thought his tape just left a little to be desired compared to athletic testing. You think of a guy that tests that off the charts athletically, he should be down to down unguardable. And he was that at the Senior Bowl, I thought, if you watch Senior Bowl tape, but wasn't that game to game at Baylor. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you sort of weigh Senior Bowl performance against actual, you know, on-field performance?
2: Yeah. So Senior Bowl this year, I was not there. Um, I was assigned to a lot of Super Bowl work this year. And, you know, as someone who went to the Senior Bowl for seven straight years before this, um, I feel like I cannot – comment on the senior bowl this year because i wasn't there you know and i think that's only fair because you know i think a lot of people then regurgitate other people's evaluations who were there at the senior bowl Mm -hmm. and just say oh denzel Mims had a great senior bowl week whereas as you know when you're sitting there in the stands i might think a rep is good and someone else might think a rep is bad or watching the tape afterwards so like if I wasn't there and I didn't watch him, then I can't even, like, comment on a senior bowl week. And I've tried not to do that at all with any of these players. Yeah. Um, they do have the tape online, though. It's just FYI. They, they do. I, they I have posted. that in my iPod. I have not gotten to it yet because I'm so behind right. in this class. Um, but I, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it was, again, one of those players where I don't think he's just solely relying on his athleticism, though. You know, like I don't think that this is just someone who's a size speed athlete winning at the catch point and that's it. Um, I'm not sure if I can talk you out of your opinion because I think what he was asked to do, Denzel Mims did a great job at that. And I think when you also isolate those certain characteristics that I talked about that I think are nuanced little pieces of playing the receiver position because – You know, if you give him a free release, he's going to run right by you and then winning on contact throughout his route, whereas he wasn't asked to, you know, create separation constantly and sustain it. I do think early in his route and late in his route with that little bits of contact that he initiated, he was able to create separation in those two. So but it's okay if we disagree on him.
0: Yeah, I'm higher on Denzel Mims than Mike is. We had a little bit of a debate yesterday about him versus Ayuk, and we're going to talk about it later in the podcast. But I'm big on Denzel Mims. I really like what he does. The senior bowl was fantastic, and the athletic testing speaks for itself. I want to talk a little bit before we dive into second-year breakouts. uh, This is the two-for-one drafts podcast. We do talk rookies as well. I want to get your take on some breakouts. I I want to bring up Antonio Gibson. We've talked about him a bit on the podcast, and you said wide receiver. But we, we, we kind of see him playing a very versatile role in the NFL. He could play slot. I'd say he could be in the backfield a ton. Where do you see him playing in the NFL? Do you, do you imagine him in that versatile role at the next level?
2: Well, thankfully, you guys chart all this stuff. Didn't he play wide receiver line up there like 70% of the time during his time yep. at Memphis? Yeah. He,
0: he played a very similar role to what Tony Poller played right. before he moved to kind of running back. And I talked to him at the senior bowl and he said he'll play wherever. Obviously, a lot of players do that when they are in kind of those versatile chess pieces. But I'm of the opinion that like he is in his best I think he plays his best in a Tony Polar type of role where he's playing maybe in and out of the slot and and out of the backfield as well.
2: Hmm. Um, I think that that could happen. I also think we have to evaluate for teams that aren't that creative, you know, and we have to understand that when players are selected at positions, that's most likely they're going to spend most of their time. Uh, And if I had to pick just one, I would put Antonio Gibson at wide receiver and I would point to that SMU game. I believe that it was where he's playing a lot in the slot and we've seen so often, and we can just point to Debo Samuel last year, you know, not everyone's going to be attached to a, a play caller like Kyle Shanahan. Um, and not everyone's going to develop quite like Debo Samuel did during his rookie season. I think people forget that like early in his time with the 49ers, like Debo not was a manufactured touch player, but they did want to get him the ball early on and then allow him to win afterwards. But then as the season went along, the 49ers kind of gave him more responsibility and, and more on his plate. Um, if Gibson gets placed into a same situation, I'm not going to say he's going to be as good as Debo, but I think he can do a very admirable job because he obviously is super comfortable with the ball in his hands. But what I loved is that he did show wide receiver traits. Like you watch the SMU game. You see times when he was crossing the formation seven to 12 yards down the field and a ball was put way off his frame and he's able to adjust it, throw his shoulder back and catch it away from his body. And then as soon as he hits the ground, boom, his eyes are upfield and he's seamlessly trying to create yards after the catch. And that's just something where, you know, a lot of these hybrid players you don't see very often. I will also say that I would want him to work more at wide receiver because so much of running back production is dictated based on blocking success, right? You guys talk about this all the time. And so if he has, you know, good blocking ahead of him, then he's going to pick up yards no matter what in the backfield. So I would love for him to, to focus as much as possible on that slot wide receiver role.
0: Yeah, something you said there that I think stands out is you have to evaluate for less creative you know, offensive play callers because we always talk with similar players like LaViska Chenault, Antonio Gibson, Limbone Jr., these guys that like in with creative offensive coordinators can do a ton of things very well. But you have to also think about there are going to be teams that draft these players that want to see them exclusively in the slot, exclusively at X receiver. And I think concerning because you'd like to see more, you know, creative play callers kind of take the next step with those guys. But I think it's fair that you do have to evaluate for those types. All right, last thing here I want to touch on is your second year breakout. So the rookies from last year that maybe didn't already make a splash. Who do you see kind of having a very good year two in 2020?
2: Yeah, and we still don't know exactly what roles these players are going to have, obviously, because, you know, sometimes decision makers forget that these players are on their team and then move on to someone else in the draft. Um, You know who I'm super excited to see, and hopefully he gets more of an opportunity, would be Justice Hill with the Baltimore Ravens. Because he's obviously a type of player that they don't have, on their roster besides his own talents. I mean, I think we all love Mark Ingram. Gus Edwards has this, you know, fun, straight line style that would have been wildly successful in 1972. Um, But Justice Hill has some make you miss in the open field, create on his own ability. Now, how much does that work with someone like Lamar Jackson? I think that's to be seen. But the jump that we saw from Lamar during his rookie year to his second year, maybe we see some more of that and some more creativity in his second year to his third year. And hopefully that includes justice Hill. What'd you guys think of his rookie year?
1: I had honestly forgotten about it. <laughs> 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 because I've been thinking of like speed to fair, them for fair. a while. So I was like, Oh yeah, justice Hill is still with the Ravens. So yeah, that's kind of on me. I about. I him, feel like if,
0: if the Baltimore Ravens took like a, a more of a committee approach, similar to like what the Niners have done with Moster and Breda, like Justice yes. Hill could fly in the Ravens offense because he does have that speed and athleticism. I think he was a forgotten piece because Ingram and, and Edwards were having so much success. But I think a three headed monster in Baltimore is what a lot of people talked about heading into last season. I just think they had a ton of firepower with their top two guys. I think Justice Hill, I mean, it's an interesting candidate, definitely would be breaking out if he did come out in 2020.
2: Um, I also want to bring up Andy Isabella, who I know is a, a Mike That's Ritter favorite. Now we're talking. Um, I think Ritter compared him like Brandon Cooks last year. But yeah. uh, this I mean, I think he is now going to be set up for more success. Obviously, he and Hakeem Butler missed a ton of time prior to last season. And then once, you know, NFL season starts snowballing, it's tough to latch back on when you're a rookie. But like when we're looking at what. This Arizona wide receiver group can be, you know, a lot of times, especially early last season, you had Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk in the slot quite often. Um, And then now you'll probably keep them in the slot quite often put new Copkins on the outside and maybe Andy Isabella on, on the outside or you one rotate. Dream, to him.
0: Right. I mean, one can dream, <laughs> putting right? Andy it's, Isabella it's, at outside receiver with those guys in the slot. It's like what everyone, I mean, I mean at least the guys at the PFF offices were, were praying for I'm Glad you're
2: on board with it as well. Well, and then at the very least, like he and Kurt can kind of rotate on one side of the field or whatever in the slot or the outside. Um, I think that's fun. You know, I, I I've been harping on Steve Kime and, and wondering if he has the ability to bring in talents that are of equal talent to kyler murray because i mean i'm sure you guys watched a lot of kyler murray last year and i always go back to that Atlanta falcons game where like there was instant disruption a number of plays Because of his offensive line, yet Kyler avoided it, then reset in the pocket, then made these plays to wide receivers that are basically like roster fodder and like the number one goal that Steve Kimes should have had this offseason was to bring in other players that are of equal talent to Kyler. So it's an equal playing field. And, and, and that's when the offense could really move. And he obviously did that with DeAndre Hopkins. But I, I now wonder if they even stop there. Like, why not just keep investing in this team, especially along the offensive line? Because other than like Patrick Mahomes, maybe I mean, Kyler is a special, special player. And I don't know if his rookie season really received enough love as it should have.
0: No, I I would agree with you. I I think, man, it'd be so nice to see Andy Zabella used properly and used more in 2020. I know uh, Mike and I were both pounding the table for it uh, on the podcast uh, during the season last year, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This has been very valuable insight. We'll have to get you on maybe closer to the draft or after the draft to, to get the, get more takes from you. Cause I really appreciate your insight. I would also encourage all listeners to check out Josh's podcast, the road to world football podcast. You can be find Spotify, wherever you get your podcast? Cause that's also a great listen, Josh. Thanks again.
2: Thanks, Austin. Thanks Mike. Talk to you guys soon.
0: Great stuff from Josh there. It's great to bring him on the podcast. I think I, I didn't know he started in scouting. I didn't know he was with, you know, the St. Louis mm-hmm. Rams back when. I also didn't know he went to Elon, which was formerly the fighting Christians. Isn't that like the opposite of what Christian
1: means? Like, no, aren't they supposed to not fight? I don't Is know if the there are like clear
0: opposites for Christian. I, I, I getting into I'm not a Christian. I should on know here? this, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I thought he had some interesting takes. I, I'm glad I, the breakout candidates was what was most interesting. Justice Hill, um, he even talked to us off the off the podcast about Scotty Miller, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver, some deep breakout candidates I like from Josh.
1: Yeah, those were cuts, dude. I like I said, I forgot about Justin. I kept being like, dude, they should probably add some speed at running back. Oh wait, they did that last year. That's on me. But <laughs> sometimes you, you forget, and sometimes you fuck up, and you just put your hand up and say, I forgot, unfortunately.
0: Well, what was your opinion of what what he was saying about Mims Him doing the little stuff? Well, I don't know how much we'll get to the thing one second, but Mm -hmm. let me just touch on. I thought the most important
1: thing that he said was his, you know, don't take bottom 30 percentile athletes at certain positions. And I I really agree with that and that, you know, I don't care how good the tape is for some of these guys. And it's again, certain positions, not every position is athleticism completely matter, like center interior line slot receiver, not huge positions for athleticism, but cornerback, defensive line, linebacker, don't take these guys who are bad athletes because you know, you basically defense as a, as a whole, because that's like, besides maybe slot cornerback, because that's so, you know, covering ground is so important. Uh, like, don't take the chance on the guy who maybe his tape looks good, but can't move on the football field, doesn't have the athletic testing because nine times out of 10, it just doesn't work out.
0: Yeah, I mean you'd have to be breaking the odds. I mean, beating the odds with that because like it's just so much more difficult to be excel at those positions when you're like a, a you know, a low tiered athlete. I think you're just it's very difficult to get those guys to the ability they need to be. You have to be such a good football player to make up for like bottom third athleticism in the NFL. I thought another thing he said was interesting is like watching the first 20 plays on guys kind of earning that twenty first, twenty fifth type of play and what you can get from a prospect. I think that that doesn't get maybe talked about enough in terms of like watching prospects and trying to get like an immediate sense of, you know, their ability and whether or not to press forward on like actually evaluating them as a top 200 draftable player.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes down to what we kind of just said about 30th percentile athleticism. If this, if this tackle can't get out of a stance and like there's, there are guys in the PFF thing that grade well, and I, I still watch them because they do grade well, but Blake Brandel is a guy, mm-hmm. Oregon state offensive tackle. I mean, you see him try to cut off linebackers at second level, and he's like, he can't come close. And at that point, like, yes, he graded well in pass protection, but if you're just not hitting the threshold, you just, you know, Like he, uh, he had like a 90-plus pass blocking grade this last year, but he, we have him as UDFA just because you're not going to be able to make it happen in the NFL.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's let's wrap here. Let's do the bar fight over Mims and Ayuk and then wrap the podcast. Uh, I am fully on board with Denzel Mims, the Baylor wide receiver over Brandon Ayuk. I've been lower on Ayuk than you for a little bit. We talked about it in the past. I think our first bar fight was just discussing Brandon Ayuk as a prospect. But then yesterday we had the discussion about the draft. Was that our first bar fight? It was. I'm pretty sure that was our first bar fight, if I do remember Oh, Jesus. Correctly. Well, we're going back to the well. Going back to the well, but largely because yesterday I, I, we had the conversation about the big board, Denzel Mims versus Brand Ayuk. You wanted to move Mims down. You watch more of his tape. I was like, OK, you can move him down. I'm fine with it. I agree with your reservations. But if you move him below Brand Ayuk, I will have a fit. And you did. You actually did. <laughs> the, Monday, the Monday big board that Mike drops will have Mims below Brand Ayuk. And I just can't stand it. Yes, it will. And OK, here's the thing. And I will give
1: you who Denzel Mims reminds me of. Reminds me of last year, Miles Boykin, Notre Dame. Watch Miles Boykin play his entire college career at Notre Dame. At no point did I think he'd run a 4-4-40. Four, four, he'd never look like that. He never he tested out Josh's point about three sigma athlete. He tested out as like a 99th percentile athlete when you take into account his three cones 40 vertical broad jump, all that, knocked out the park. At no point did he ever look like that on tape. To me, that's Denzel Mims. And he goes to the Ravens and like whatever, third round, nothing special so far yet. We'll see how he ends up, you know, finishing his career. But at no point would I have ever guessed that just from watching him play at Notre Dame. Struggled, you know, getting in and out of his breaks as a a wide receiver, just like didn't look like that. Now, Denzel Mims maybe looked a little more explosive at times over his career, had a little more, you know, a little more of a vertical player than Boykin was, but still, I never would have expected that level of testing. And it's just like he never really had these reps where he just like blew guys away and just like kept separating double moves where he just killed them and just like went kept going. And to me, Brandon Ayuk four five, he is more on the spectrum of like if you if you didn't know what DeAndre Hopkins ran in the forty, you would never guess he ran a four five seven. He just never played that slow, like he mm-hmm. never at any point plays that slow to me that's brand Ayuk. he never plays slow everything he does looks like it's explosive, looks like it's fast four or five i mean it's still fine speed, but it's not doesn't match his tape and I'll take that guy that like that plays faster than the forty than the guy who you're like, "Where did that come from i'll take that guy nine Fair. times 11.
0: You know, what? I, I hate the Miles Boykin comparison because it's super fair. And I, that, that kind, of, it kind of hits me. Home. I didn't think you were going to be able to kind of sway me at all. But, like, I mean, the, you know, I agree, too, that, like, Denzel Mims tested insanely. But, like, he does not always look like he's this explosive athlete that he was at the combine like Brand Ayuk does. Every route Brandon Ayuk runs, mm-hmm. you could tell this guy's got a freaking rocket ship mm-hmm. under his cleats there. But, I, I mean, what I'll say was this. Boykin did not have the senior bowl that um, uh, Denzel Mims That's had. That's I, I think Denzel Mims like really looked apart at the Senior Bowl, and again, it wasn't against good competition. We talked about how bad the cornerbacks were there at the Senior Bowl. I would have loved to see Christian Fulton participate at the Senior Bowl. He bowed out late. I mean, I, I think when you look at the one on ones at the Senior Bowl, you really see like what Denzel Mims can be. I talked to him. I feel like this guy is going to get better in the NFL. I also talked to Miles Boykin in the pre draft process. Did not impress me like Denzel Mims did. However, I am close to the idea when you mention. You just don't always see Denzel Mim's explosiveness and athleticism on the tape like you do with brand Ayuk. And I do agree that you see that. My reservations with Ayuk are the limited route tree, a ton of production on screens, and like I am I'm just seeing his usage in the NFL being something that's can be schemed, can, can, can be this faux production. You're like, Yes, he's good after the catch. Yes, he's explosive. But like, I want guys that can separate and win down the football field like with great consistency, do the little things well that kind of Josh Norris spoke to. And I'm just still on board, even with the Miles Boykin comparison kind of hitting home. I'm still on board with Mims over Ayuk, just know, seeing what he did at the Senior Bowl, et cetera. All right. I agree I'm to not disagree. Good, well, we're, not gonna, we're not going to – I mean, no one's changing each other's mind here. But –
1: Brandon Ayuk's going to be
0: ahead of him on the big board. I, I will say this. You didn't change my mind, but I do think you brought me closer to the Brandon Ayuk conversation. Can you we, did. can we throw out though? Just, can we just read off Miles Boykin's
1: combine numbers? Because how dumb, like these were <laughs> out of this world for compared to how he looked on tape. He's 6'42 20, which is a huge wide receiver run a four, four, two 43 and a half inch vertical, the broad 11, <laughs> 11 foot, eight inch broad jump at 220 pounds, six, seven, seven, three comb and a 4.07 shuttle this guy should have legitimately switched to linebacker. Like he could be, uh, he might That's be a better. Good
0: call. That's That's <laughs> like, a bad call. I mean, man, that, that miles Boykin comparison is hurting me. It's hurting my soul. Cause it, it's, it's feeling very good. But I, again, the senior bowl has me swinging in a different direction. I don't know. I, I starting to hate myself now. Is that what the bar fights are for? Is the bar fights making me hate myself? I'm, <laughs> I'm basically like the,
1: uh, I'm basically like a prospect. Who's yeah. who we're doing an interview with. And I'm just like winning you over with every answer.
0: Exactly. I'm, I'm blown away, my friend, I'm blown <laughs> away. Really appreciate that stuff. All right. Well, then thanks again, guys, for listening. Make sure you uh, follow us on all the channels. You grab your podcast, leave a review. If you will, we are no longer doing the draft guide giveaway. However, if you did not receive the draft guide with your initial review, you can email me at austin.gale at pff.com. Also watch us on YouTube. You can see all of our podcasts on YouTube. if That's where you prefer your podcast. But until next time, this is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.